Well, hi, everybody. Welcome to Journey of Faith. I'm Jason Cusick. I'm the lead pastor here at the church. And if you're visiting with us for the first time, I want to say a special welcome to you. If you're here at Manhattan Beach, uh, we're connected right now with our Torrance campus. So hi to everybody at Torrance. If you're new with us there, thanks so much for joining us. Also, uh, hi to everybody that's watching us online. Before I get into the message today, I also, I just want to say a, a special thank you because about three weeks ago I got up here and said that we're at a place here at the end of the year where our, our growth has been really great here at the church, but our growth has outpaced our giving. And a lot of us heard that and we said either let's start giving for the first time or let's start recurring giving or let's give kind of an end of your gift and and as you probably heard earlier with the, the host announcement, um, that we're, uh, we're right on track with where we need to be here at the end of the year because we all were able to chip in. So thank you so much for that. I've actually been, yeah, we can applaud that too. Yeah. I've been at this church for over 20 years and this church has been around since 1911. And one of the things that keeps us focused on the mission of God is that we all give, that we're all generous. And this is, my experience with this church is this is, a, we're a, a generous group that we believe in putting our money where our mouth is when we want to see uh, Jesus be famous and influential in the neighborhood through our lives. And so thank you so much for doing that. Uh, we are in week three of what is a series we're doing through the Christmas season. Our Christmas Eve service will kind of wrap up this series that we've called Kingdom Come. And we base this series on a often overlooked sentence in the Christmas story. The angel comes and speaks to Mary and says, um, you're going to have a son and his name will be Jesus. And in addition to... Jesus doing miracles and teaching and dying on the cross for our sins, the angel says this about Jesus. His kingdom will never end. And that word kingdom is what we've been looking at here. What does that mean? Well, in this series, we're defining it this way, that the word kingdom means Jesus' influence and authority in all areas of our lives. And if you do kind of a, a quick search through the pages of the Bible, particularly the New Testament, that word kingdom comes up quite a bit. Jesus often talks about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom being now and to come. And so when we're talking about the kingdom, we're, we're, we're thinking at one point, Jesus will be the king of kings and bring his influence and authority over the entire world. But between now and then, it's Jesus's influence and authority in our individual lives. So what would it look like to live as citizens of Jesus's kingdom first and then have our nationalities and our loyalties and our connections to, to our countries and to our other areas of our lives? So what we're going to be looking at today related to Jesus's kingdom is a part of the Christmas story that, that points to what are called the, the wise men or the magi, or as the Christmas song calls it, uh, the, the three kings. Now, if you're uh, a student here with us, if, if you have a student here at the church, this is the scripture, this is the story that that the students have been looking at this week as well. 
And this is where we can find it in the New Testament of the Bible. And I'd love it if you made a note of this because I'd, I'd really like you to read this whole account, these 12 verses on your own this week. I'm going to read a few verses and summarize a little bit. But this is a very interesting story in the New Testament about the Christmas narrative that kind of opens our eyes and our minds about how expansive Jesus's kingdom actually is. Let's jump right into the story. Here's what it says. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose and we've come to worship him. Let's stop there for a moment. We've got these wise men who are traveling from eastern lands. We believe this is probably Persia, maybe further out. And they're traveling to Jerusalem to meet with the king. Now, we think these wise men are royal uh, staff of the king of Persia. So they would have been astronomers, scientists, historians. It's not uncommon in that day where a king would have a group of people around him that would be royal advisors. Now, Persia would have had their own kind of astrological and educational system. In addition to the fact, a little fun fact, you look in the Old Testament in the book of Daniel, Daniel was actually a Hebrew prophet that was in exile in Persia and became someone that would interpret dreams. So there's some that suggest that the wise men had some understanding of the timing of the coming Messiah because their lineage flowed up from Daniel's experience. And so these wise men are consulting their astrological tables, they're consulting ancient history, ancient Hebrew literature, and they're like, there is a new king coming, let's go pay homage. They show up in Jerusalem, and Herod is not really happy about this. Um, First of all, Herod really doesn't know why these Persian visitors are there. And he has to bring in his own religious consultants just to figure out who the Persians are looking for. He does his own research and finds out that Bethlehem is the location where this king would come and arrive. It goes on to say this. Herod says, go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child, and when you find him, come back and tell me so that I can go worship him too. This is a lie. Uh, When you read it yourself, this is a Game of Thrones moment. The the current king does not want to know about a future king, definitely someone that's outside of his own family. He wants this new king eliminated, even if it is a child. He wants this kid knocked out. Um, here's, we go back into the story. It says, after this interview, the wise men went on their way and the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. This is interesting too because we don't get the impression that this is a normal star. It says the star went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. So this is either observational language that the author is using 
or this is a supernatural event, or this is an angel, or something is going on. We don't know what the star is, but it stops over the location. It says, when they saw this, they were filled with joy. This long journey from Persia over to Bethlehem was complete, and it says this, they entered the house and saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. When I read this story, something stands out to me, and it's the same thing that stood out to me when I read this story for the first time over 30 years ago. And that is the diversity of the different kinds of people that are in this story. I think as Matthew wrote this out, and as people back in the first century read this story or heard this story told, everybody could see themselves in this story somehow. If you were a person of influence and authority, maybe even a politician, you'd be like, I'm in there. If you were a religious expert or someone that prided yourself on knowledge and education, you could see yourself in there. If you were someone who was foreign born, maybe from another country, maybe an outsider in one way or another, somebody that's venturing into another culture, you'd be like, I could see myself in this story. If you were rather uneducated and poor, you could see yourself in the Christmas story. I think when Matthew's writing this, he's writing a story that includes people from all different walks of life, all different economic positions and educational statuses, different ethnic groups and people groups, different languages and cultures. And what centers all of these people is the baby Jesus. And so we have this iconic drawing, imagining all of these people in the same room at the time. And I would say, do you see yourself in this picture? I do, right here. I'm over here and there I am, just standing out of there. No, but take, let me take that down. Uh, but the, here's the goal. The goal is, can you see yourself in the Christmas story? Because I actually think this was Matthew's goal when he's writing this. The book of Matthew, this New Testament book of Matthew, starts with all these different people from different places and even different nations coming together around Jesus and then when the book of Matthew ends, Jesus sends people out and he says, I want you to go to all nations in the world. And then throughout the book of Matthew, more than any other book that records the life of Jesus, there's all these stories about people from different countries, different income levels, different levels of education. All these people interacting with Jesus. Matthew who is a devout Jewish person, would have a lot of nationalistic pride, is now writing the Jesus story and he's expanding it out of national boundaries into something big and global. And this Christmas and today, here's our main idea for today. 
We should celebrate that Jesus' kingdom is made up of all peoples and nations and languages. We live in such a divided world. We divide over politics. We divide over nationality, ethnicity, culture, age, gender, finances. We, we have all kinds of divisions. And our culture breeds segmentation. But what Jesus is doing, even in the manger, is bringing people together for his kingdom. I want to share with you two ways, two reasons why we should celebrate that Jesus' kingdom is made up of of all peoples and and nations and languages. Here's the first one. Jesus' kingdom calls to people who are much different than we expect. When you read the stories of Jesus, he's crossing these boundaries. He's reaching out to people from different countries. He's, as a Jewish male, he wasn't supposed to be associating with women. He would reach out to women. People were sick. And in his culture, people thought sickness was a sign that you were under the curse of God. Jesus reached out to sick people. He reached out to the rich and the poor. People from his own nation, people from other nations. Jesus was drawing people in. And you see regularly in the life of Jesus that people are like, I didn't expect that person. That's actually my story. Some, a lot of you know my story, but my, my first movement toward Jesus was when I was a 19-year-old agnostic. And I found myself in a black gospel church in South Los Angeles. Now this was not a multi-ethnically diverse church. It was all African American. The average age in the congregation was 55 years old. The men wore suits, the women wore hats. There was tambourine playing and people shouting and calling back at the pastor during the sermon. There were people speaking in tongues. The pastor sat on the stage during worship with his water in his chair and then he got up and preached for an hour and referenced the Egyptian scholar that he had, that he had studied with. And it was a two and a half hour service every Sunday. To say that I stood out is an understatement. Because as the pastor and the other people in the congregation are in their culture and in their vibe and communicating their way, they look out and they see this guy. (laughs) Now, let me just amend this because this is actually a cool picture of me that I chose. This is probably who they saw. (laughs) Take that down, please. They're like, we didn't expect that guy. Who's that guy walking in? I think that same shock might have happened with Herod. See, the Persian culture and the Indian culture have a somewhat of shared history. And that means you can imagine the kind of pageantry and color and beauty as Persian slash Indian royalty 
is coming into the city of Jerusalem. Even more so, coming into a poor, impoverished home in Bethlehem. Here's probably like, who is this? Who are these people? Now, in some ways, it wouldn't have surprised him, because I was doing some reading about this, before the Roman Empire established what's called, what, what was called the Silk Road, uh, which kind of connected a lot of places in the East in the Roman Empire, uh, much further before that, the Persian Empire established what's called the Royal Road. And the Persian couriers had a great reputation for being able to travel swiftly and get to their destination. So the idea that travelers from Persia would show up at different locations would have not been surprising. In fact, the couriers in particular in Persia had a great reputation, so much so that I I found this quote from a Greek historian by the name of Herodotus uh, about 400 years before Jesus. And look at what Herodotus says says about these Persian uh, travelers. Neither snow, nor rain, nor heat, nor gloom of night stays these couriers from the swift completion of their appointed rounds. Now, for some of you, you laugh because that sounds familiar, right? You know what it is? That's the motto of the United States Postal Office. It's actually written on the building in D.C. So this is, uh, it's got all that history to it. The point is, is that the kingdom of God was calling not just poor people, not just rich people, not just influential people, but people that had no influence and people from a home country and people from other countries. The message of Jesus' kingdom and the message of Christmas is that Jesus' kingdom, let's go to that next one, Jesus' kingdom is international, intercultural, and we talk about all the time, invitational. Jesus, as a very infant, is calling everyone. And often, this call is to leave our comfort zones. In fact, this Christmas, maybe we can get in the spirit of that by experiencing some very personal privatized version of what the wise men did. The wise men journeyed from what they knew to what they didn't know to visit Jesus. And maybe we can have something similar, an action step that we could take is this. Let's put that up here, the action step. Make a journey to spend time with Jesus. Just like just like the Magi left the comfort zone of their world to go pay honor to Jesus, maybe we should take that step and, and journey outside of our comfort zone. If you're an indoor person, what would it be like to spend some time outdoors connecting with Jesus? If you're an outdoor, let's say you're a social person. Well, you love hanging around with people all the time and being alone is uncomfortable. What would it like to spend some alone time with Jesus? Is there an area of your life in which you're comfortable? You're like, I like this. I like this area of my life. I'm comfortable. Jesus may be saying, I want you to get a taste of my kingdom, which means 
I want you to move out of your comfort zone. Comfort is the enemy of spiritual growth. I was listening to this podcast this last week, and it was the author of this book called Be the Unicorn. And it's a, a, a guy who is a, a recruiter, and he does interviewing, and he said, here's the successful people. Here's what we've noticed after recruiting and getting successful people hired. And one of the skills uh, that he identified, and he said is learnable, is that, that successful people are agile, And what he means by that, as he was talking, he was saying, as you get older, you get less flexible. Physiologically, mentally, and I would say spiritually. And there's something about staying nimble, staying flexible, learning to adapt not getting sedentary and not getting used to seeing the world and people in a way that's comfortable to you. Jesus is like, get out of that country. Get out of that rut. Get out of your little world because the kingdom is so much bigger. What would it look like for you to experiment or at least to identify an area where you've acclimated to an unhealthy kind of comfort? I've just kind of settled in. These are the people I talk to. This is the news program I listen to. Here's the podcast I listen to. Here's my routine. And routines and disciplines are wonderful. But they can lock us into an inflexibility that makes us unavailable to real kingdom influence. Here's one more reason why we should celebrate that Jesus' kingdom has people from different languages and cultures and people. It's this, because Jesus' kingdom helps us see people, not categories. This is so important. So this last week, I was talking to uh, somebody on our team here at church, and the conversation moved into a discussion of this word, uh, pareidolia. You know what pareidolia is? I didn't know this word, but I knew the idea. This is when you see things in other things. This is like you like look up in the sky, you're like, oh, I see a dog in that cloud, right? Or that looks like Jesus on my toast. You know, that's the one that comes up all the time. Jesus on the toast, look. You know, we human beings have a way of looking at something and seeing something that we didn't know was there. So I'll give you an example. I'm on, I'm on, a, um, I'm on this Facebook page. Uh, let me stop. For those of you under 20, Facebook still exists. It's just old people now. It's all your parents and grandparents. Uh, but it's still there. And I'm on this Facebook page called Things with Faces. So people just post pictures of things in which they saw faces. So let me show you a few of my favorite. Here's a, I think it's a washing machine. I think that's a good one. You're making dinner and you're cutting up the, uh, cutting up the vegetables. Bunch of angry vegetables. You get out the iron, you're gonna iron your clothes. That's a nice one. Or you take off your nasty socks at the end of the day and that's what your sock looks like. It's kind of gross, right? Okay, we can get that off of there too. 
it's really helped me because now I look around and other people are seeing, oh, there's a tow truck or there's a wheel or there's a sign and I'm seeing faces, not seeing things anymore. But it made me think about my spiritual life too. Because it's easy for us to go, oh, I see that person's lawn sign and it's different than my lawn sign. So now I'm just seeing a category of a voter. Oh, I see that person and they're from, they, they, they have that appearance, which makes me think they might be from this place in the world. And now I've categorized them with every other person that I know from some place that I've seen. I see that person and who they live with, and now they're not a face, they're just a category. We do it with ourselves too. I'm, I, I, who am I? I am married, or I am single. I am employed, or I am unemployed. I look like this, compared to what I used to look like at another time. These are just categories. We are faces. We are people. And Jesus sees our faces, not our categories. And so we can see each other's faces. Jesus is inviting, when he talks about the kingdom, he's inviting us to move out of categories. In that in that nativity scene the wise men who are used to wealth and royalty and scholarship and 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 affluence travel from their palaces to an impoverished home with a poor family in Bethlehem and they don't see poverty they see kingship because they have kingdom vision. That's what we need. And one way we can do this is, is, is maybe we can start interacting with people who, are, who maybe share similar beliefs but actually live in a different world. Here's an action step for you. Find ways to intersect with Christians much different than yourself. I'll give you one practical way to do it. Uh, we said earlier, like, our church is not meeting in person on the last Sunday of the year. This would be a great opportunity to go with a friend or a family member to a church that's very different than the one you go to. To see how other Christians experience Jesus. Maybe you want to go to an Anglican service, a high church service. Maybe you go to a Mennonite service. Maybe you go to a, a Greek Orthodox service. Go to a Pentecostal service. And what ends up happening is you start realizing, because Los Angeles is so eclectic, you start realizing the value of being what I would call a global Christian. When you're a global Christian, you don't see the world only through the lens of your Americanism, which is a big challenge for us Americans. We're a 200-year-old company and we feel like we just nailed it. Like we, we just, we, it's us and Jesus, you know? But to be able to see things broadly, I talked to a guy after the service uh, who, he works for an engineering company or a, an energy company, he's a, and 
He's relocated four times. Texas, Washington, D.C., Nigeria, and Laos. It's like those are four different planets. Even Texas is definitely its own planet. (laughs) But he said, every time I go, I look for a church to go to. And he said, it's amazing. We share Jesus in common, and sometimes not a lot else. That's a good thing for us to experience because it helps us focus on the mission. I'll give an example for me. Over the summer, I told you my wife and I, we got a chance to go see some of our global partners overseas and we went to the country of Estonia. And Estonia is located right next to Ukraine and Russia. And so we visited some church leaders there. And then when we came back just a few weeks ago, a couple of those church leaders from Estonia came and visited us here. So here's a picture of my wife and I with two of these leaders. Uh, This is in Manhattan Beach. And she is the president of the Baptist Seminary in Estonia. And he is one of the professors as well as a church pastor. And I asked them, hey, with what's going on with Ukraine and Russia right now, that conflict, how are things going over there? And they said, we just got back from a prayer meeting and it was Ukrainian Baptists and Russian Baptists praying together. While their kingdoms, their countries are at war, they are united around Jesus and praying. I'll give you something closer to home. Look at this picture. Us pastors, a lot of us pastors, we meet regularly here in the South Bay, and this is one of the breakfast meetings that happened recently. And this is a Jewish Christian leader, and this is a Palestinian Christian leader. Yes, there's Palestinian Christians. And they're eating together, and they're laughing together, and they're praying together while their people groups are at war. Jesus is not just the king of kings, he's the prince of peace. And he's inviting us to prioritize his kingdom over our ethnicity and nationality and politics and preferences and all the things that the culture around us so easily divides us on. What would it be like if we put Jesus' kingdom first? Again, Back to this, find ways to intersect with Christians much different than yourself. What it does, and this is, I'll talk about it, uh, we'll have a video message on, on uh, New Year's Eve day on that Sunday. If you go visit other people, there'll still be some content for you available to watch during the week. But I'm gonna talk about just this idea of this global experience of Christianity and how that should directly impact how we interact with people every day. What did we talk about today? Here's what we talked about. We should celebrate that Jesus' kingdom is made up of all peoples, nations, and languages. Why? Two reasons. Jesus' kingdom calls to people who are much different than we expect, us included. Some of you are like, I don't even know if I belong in the manger scene. They seem to be such holy people, and I'm not. That's who Jesus is calling to. In fact, you might even be in church coming to church for the first time here during the Christmas season, you're like, I don't even know I should be here. Like, I don't know. Like, I, I don't feel comfortable around God and spiritual things and religious people. We want you to feel comfortable around Jesus. And then the second reason, Jesus' kingdom helps us see people 
not categories. We have to be very careful because it's such a natural tendency. And maybe it's part of even our wiring, our brain. When we see something, we want to make sense of it. So we categorize things and we organize things, right? And maybe that's how God designed our brains, just to make sense of the world. But the Bible even has this beautiful sentence in the book of Romans that says that, that God is in the business of renewing our minds, Renewing our minds, transforming how we think. And then the story of the wise men ends so beautifully. You just saw it here for a second. It says, um, then they opened their treasure chests and gave him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And that's where a lot of our tradition of gift giving for Christmas comes from. It's trying to following in the footsteps of these amazing visitors who said, here is somebody worthy of gifts and attention and time. And I'd like to end on that note with a a very heartfelt and shameless ask. And that is, this coming weekend, Christmas Eve, this will be a service that many of our friends and neighbors and coworkers come out to. For some, it may be the only service they go to for the entire year. For some, it may be the first church, church service they've ever gone to. I'd like to ask, if you're going to be in town, would you volunteer for one of these services, either at our Torrance campus or here at our Manhattan Beach campus? Because of the number of people that come, we need a lot of volunteers to make sure that people coming for the first time or coming back after being away have a great experience. We need help with our kids' ministries. We need help with wayfinding and direction. This would be a great service gift to Jesus this Christmas because I actually think Jesus is inviting everybody to the manger and you can play your part in helping people get there well and help them have a positive experience at church, which unfortunately is not the case in many places around the world but we want it to be here. Let me close us in prayer. Uh, Would you all stand here at Manhattan Beach and at Torrance? If there's something going on in your life right now and and you're like either the message or the music or some of you came in with maybe some heaviness or something that you'd like prayer for, uh, at the end of the service here, uh, we have this cross over here at Manhattan Beach and it's right in the same place at our Torrance campus uh, for those of you at Torrance. And and we're gonna have some, some people there that would love to pray with you to hear what's going on to be a support. Also, if you wanna know more about the church or even sign up, for volunteering, you can go to our website, but we also have some great people standing right outside in our connections area that would love to connect with you and help you um, help us get to know you more and help you find ways to plug in. Let me pray for us, and then we'll head out for this week that's leading up to Christmas. God, thank you so much. Thank you that you have such a big open door to everybody. Help us to open the doors of our heart. Help us to be global Christians. Help us to see the world like you see it, full of all different people, of different backgrounds and different experiences and different convictions, but you want to unite us all through you. God, help us to make Jesus not just the center of our Christmas, but the center of our lives, because that's the kingdom influence you want. We thank you for that. We thank you for the invitation, and we'll do our best this week to say yes to it. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you, everybody, and see you on Christmas Eve.